0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you could join us today for our Sunday worship, especially this is your first time. We're glad you can make it today to our Sunday worship. Or this is your first time back, we're slowly regathering in person and we're so thankful that you could be joining us uh, today. Just know um, the, the brother who shared, Alex, I empathize. Uh, my last name is also Huang not Huang uh, but it's all good uh, we will uh, in charity correct people as best as possible but one day the Huangs will rise and people will know how to pronounce that correctly um, yeah you know I'm excited for today our members meeting after service uh, again we welcome everybody to uh, grab lunch together and stay on campus but for all of us who are members of this church uh, and membership if you know what that is it's uh, it's a formal process for our church where we are uh, committed to one another in this local church and we we do offer membership classes. We're planning to in the fall. But for all the members here, the reason why we're having a members meeting is uh, this is a, a season for our church as we regather to really begin to restore and to rebuild what God is doing in this church, and that's why we're having this members meeting today. Uh, but we're also that's the reason we're having this sermon series. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been going through the Book of Nehemiah, and it's all about the idea of God restoring and rebuilding and bringing renewal amongst His people, and especially in the context that they were in. If you guys were here with us, you know. That the context of Nehemiah is that uh, God's people, Israel, they were in exile for 70 years. Uh, they were the, the Jerusalem city was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and they were just kind of miserable for 70 years. Uh, but after 70 years, a Persian king allowed them to return, and the entire book of Ezra in the Old Testament—it was all about rebuilding the temple. And the exile was coming back to rebuild the temple together. But Nehemiah, which is part two of Ezra, it all began with this burden that this person named Nehemiah had, where he heard the city of Jerusalem is being rebuilt, the temple was being rebuilt, but the walls were still broken, and the walls left the city very vulnerable. And so in Nehemiah two, which we went over last week, we saw that Nehemiah he journeyed all the way from the Persian Empire to Jerusalem to help rebuild this wall. And then he activated and he organized all the people there to rebuild this wall together. And so Nehemiah chapters 1 to 3, which is the past few weeks that we went through, is the early exciting stage of this new building project. It's like when you get a new job. Most people, when they get a new job, they are so happy, they're so thankful for everybody who has encouraged them, who prayed for them, and they're excited to start it. But talk to them a few weeks later and what happens? It's kind of a, the joy has been gone, right? It's a little bit more challenging. Problems begin to arise. And that's what happens in Nehemiah chapter 4, which is the chapter that we are looking at today. And so if you have your Bibles, if you go open to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you don't have it, we also have on the screen behind me. But Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to be referring to the passage over and over again. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. And even though we're going to be uh, focusing primarily on verses 10 to 20, I actually want to read verses 1 to 20 just to provide a little bit of context so we can know what's going on. So Nehemiah chapter 4, this is after all the people are ready to build the wall. We see starting in verse 1 what happens. Now when Sibalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and bird ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sabala and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So, in the lower parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another." In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. This is a reading of God's word. So during the pandemic, like many of you, I did not go out often. And so I often wore just my comfortable clothes at home. But I still remember there was a day where for some reason we were able to go out to either a restaurant or some type of gathering. And I was like, oh, good, I can wear my pants again. And so I looked to find my nice pants to wear. And when I found them, it was in a basket that looked like a laundry basket. And I put it on. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, my pants shrunk. It's the pants have shrunk. My wife must have did the laundry, and, she sh- and the laundry shrunk my pants. And so I went to my wife going, "Where do I wear? Because these pants, they shrunk from the laundry. And my wife, she, in her pleasant way, said, I don't think the pants got smaller. I think you got bigger. So as a result of that, I made a commitment that day. I decided I'm going to do something I haven't done since high school. I'm going to run. I'm going to jog three to five times a week. And so I, I bought shorts, I bought running shoes, and I was ready, and I was committed, and I ran. And it felt so good, just ran around the neighborhood, been a long time since I regularly did that. But then all of a sudden, I started to experience problems. My legs started hurting. And it wasn't from soreness, it was like this unique, like, painful sensation that was there. But, you know, I just thought, just keep running, it'll go away, or maybe take a day or two break. But it kept returning every time I took a jog. And so we have a couple PTs here. So I remember I was talking to going, hey, you know, when I run, like, I'm feeling this like new sen- sensation of like this pain in my legs. And they told me like, oh, you know what that is? It's most likely shin splints. You're experiencing shin splints right now. And I was like, really? Like, why? Is it because I'm running wrongly? Or do I need to like stretch a certain way? They're like, no, no, it's because you're old. You're old now. And so that's just kind of part of what happens when you run. And so after I heard that, I stopped running. No more jogging. And the problem was, the reason why I stopped running, it wasn't because of the shin splints. Because I know plenty of people who are older, who experience shin splints, and they're running regularly. They're jogging, they kind of adjust what they do, but they still run. So how come I don't run anymore? I got discouraged. I lost motivation. It wasn't worth it to me anymore. In a similar way, that's what we see happening in Nehemiah chapter 4. They were building a wall. They ran into a problem, and what's really interesting is they run into two problems in this chapter. I'm not sure if you caught that. At first, in Nehemiah chapter 4, there are these two people named Sabalat and Tobiah, and these guys were most likely like local officials who, when they saw these exiles returning to build the temple and building the wall, it was almost like business owners seeing a giant mall being constructed. They felt threatened. And so what they did was they were angry and they went to the builders and they mocked them. And we saw them in verses 1 to 2 where they were saying, you guys are too weak. You work too hard. The work is way too hard. The wall you're building is not going to be any good. But you know what's really interesting is even though they heard all this mockery, look how Nehemiah and the builders responded. In verse 6, this is what it says. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Didn't phase them. All this, all this criticism, they're like, we're going to keep working. And they built half the wall. They were 50% done with what they originally set out to do. But then came a second problem. The second problem was after they finished half the wall, Zimbala and Tobiah, these two dudes, they returned. They brought more people with them. And in verses 7 to 8, they started to bash them again, saying this wall is stupid, this wall sucks, you're never going to finish, We're gonna, we're really angry. And what's really interesting at this point was that even though Nehemiah and God's people, they already experienced this type of criticism, the work stopped. The work stopped there. Why did it stop all of a sudden? Why did they stop this second time even though it was kind of similar to their first? Sure, it was a little bit more people. Sure, there was a little bit more criticism that was there. But was that the only reason why they stopped? I would argue the reason why they stopped building the wall at this point was they experienced what I experienced when I experienced shin splints. They got discouraged. They got discouraged. What does it mean for someone to get discouraged? I like this one definition I heard. It's pretty much when you lose courage to do something. When you lose the courage to keep doing what you're supposed to do or as Christians would say what God called you to do, that's when you get discouraged. And all of you, all of you are called to do different things right now. Some of you are building a career. You're trying to get to a certain place in your career. Some of you are trying to purchase a home. You're in the process of looking for a home right now. Some of you are raising kids. Some of you are part of our church, trying to build up our church. But as you are doing these different things, I'm sure many of you, as you do them, you're feeling pretty discouraged. Especially if you're trying to buy a home, right, in California. It's pretty discouraging. It's, uh, you lose, you're losing courage. In doing it, You feel weary about Monday. You love Sundays, but once the sun goes down, oh, the burdens, right? You avoid thinking about certain things because it kind of makes you feel queasy as you think about it. Or you're ready to quit. You, or you want to quit, but you can't quit. You feel stuck. If this is you, you're likely experiencing discouragement. And I'm glad you're here because I hope today's passage, they could really encourage you because Nehemiah 4 it shows us that discouragements, they're not just something that's normal for somebody, and it's very no- normal, but they are actually moments that God uses to really renew his people. These are moments that God uses to raise up his people. like what one author said, Tom Nelson, he quotes it like this, quote, Discouragements, they are a part of every life experience, but they need not to be seen as obstacles to God's purposes in our lives. For the follower of Jesus, suffering, whatever its form, is one of God's means for his formative work in our lives. Detours, difficulties, and delays are often some some of the most transformative times in our journey of faith. Under the sovereign hand of God, suffering is not senseless, it is purposeful. And we see this in Nehemiah. They're constantly experiencing discouragement. And this won't be the only time. Chapter 4 is the beginning. You're going to see them constantly experience moments of problems. They get discouraged. But... Through that, God builds them up. He strengthens them. But this doesn't happen automatically. This isn't natural. We have to learn how to deal with them well, to deal with the discouragements that we face. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. How should we deal with discouragements that we experience in life? I hope to be practical, a little more practical than perhaps normal, and we're going to talk about two things. Number one, the causes of discouragements. What gets you discouraged? Why does that discourage you? And secondly, the cures for discouragement. How should we deal with these discouragements? What are some things we can do? So the cause, the cures. So first, the causes of discouragements. Why do we get discouraged? What is it about things that get you discouraged and not me, or gets me discouraged and not you? Why does something called discouragement happen? It's not the problem only, because we get discouraged by different things. Some people are resilient about certain problems, but what is it that makes us discouraged? We see in the second opposition that God's people experience in Nehemiah, we see that there are certain elements that took place in the second problem. The second opposition that happened, there are certain elements that appeared and how the people were responding to it. And this all led to discouragement. And there are four elements that I want to highlight for what we see in Nehemiah 4. And these four elements are the same elements that us, I believe, also experience when we are discouraged. Here's number one. The first reason why we get discouraged. Fatigue. Fatigue. We get discouraged when things take longer than we expected and are more draining than we expected. You're just tired. Look what it says in verse 10 in the beginning, the first sentence. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. Those who were building the wall, he was saying, their strength is falling apart. Why? Why were they so tired all of a sudden? Here's the main difference. The first time they got criticized about the wall, it was the beginning. Here, when they got criticized again, they had already built half the wall. They're at the halfway point. And when you're at the halfway point of something, when you're working for a long time and someone bashes you, it gets tiresome. You're fatigued, you get discouraged more easily. Imagine running a marathon, and as you're about to run, someone goes, you can't do it. You're like, whatever, man, (laughs) you're just ready to go. But imagine you're halfway done, you don't see the finish line ahead of you, you don't see the start line behind you, and someone goes, you can't do it. You're like, maybe I can't. It's hard. Why? What happened? You're still running. You're still doing the same thing. It's because you're tired. It's because you're fatigued. You run out of bandwidth. And that's one reason why so many of you, you're feeling discouraged right now. You're doing too much. Your life is too crazy. And when your life is too crazy, when you're doing too much, when you're so busy, you have to realize that that's a life that's prone to get easily discouraged. Back during the pandemic, when the pandemic first started, we uh, at our church, we started a, a pre recorded Sunday service where we, and you guys, a lot of you were participating in that, right? Where we uh, literally we grabbed a group of people in our church and we said, let's meet Saturday mornings, let's uh, make sure that we kind of have a worship set and we record it, and then we cast it out for our people to worship online on Sundays. And you know what's really interesting was that happened, I think, around the end of summer, and in that time, we were all like kind of like pumped up. Like this is something new. This is something that's going to be interesting. We can reach more people. So we're setting up the lights, sent the camera. We're all just whistling like, just like whistling together. Just no problem at all. Afterwards, we'd get together and we'd pray in a circle. And we'd go let the Lord do something amazing through this online medium. And then as soon as Sundays was over, when the recording stopped, we always message each other in a group thread, that group, saying, great job, Pastor Sam, you brought the fire shim, you did a good job holding that camera. Like, we just highlighted everybody on Sundays. That was all summer. Now come winter. Winter came, and we did this for a few months now, and when we would come on Saturday mornings, the whistling stopped. No more whistling. The prayers, a lot shorter, a lot less emotional. And you know, after Sunday service was over, We didn't say much. We're like, good job. Thumbs up. (laughs) That's it. What happened? We got tired. Many of us were working remotely, and it was just a long season. Some of us had kids. And if you guys know, during a pandemic, when you're at home, sick with the kids, it's just draining. We were just weary doing everything for the church at that time. And that's why a lot of you, you're weary. You're doing so much right now. You have no margin in your life. And that leaves you prone to get discouraged. You know, back in the summer when we would do the Sunday recording, sometimes people would message us giving us feedback about the Sunday recording. They'd be like, hey, just want to let you know the audio is a bit low. Or, hey, just want to let you know, you know, the transitions, is kind of distracting. And in the summer, we're like, thank you. Thank you for that feedback. We want to do the best Sunday service possible during the summertime. Back, when it came winter and we got those same messages going, hey, the audio, the cuts, are so, it's kind of distracting. We're like, why don't you do it? Why don't you come Saturday? Let's see you do better. Like that's how we felt. We didn't say that, but that's how we literally felt. Why? Because again, when you're tired and you're doing something for a long time, you can't absorb that easily. You're going to be on edge a little bit. You're going to be easily discouraged. And that's why some of you, that's it's very simple. You're discouraged right now, you're weary, you're tired, you're unmotivated, because you're just on the go. You're just on the go, and you're just prone to explode. That's what we see in the book of Nehemiah, that's what we see with the people there, and I think that's what we see with us. Number one, fatigue. Number two, second reason why we get discouraged is frustration. Frustration. We get discouraged when something is way more complicated than we anticipated. You know, um, back during the pandemic again, our, our garage door, it broke at my house. So it would be like when you press the garage opener and the garage would be like, you know, it closes and it stops right before it, it hits the ground and it, goes, it just goes back up. And we didn't know what was going on. And so what I did was I first used my eyes and just looked and I thought it was a chain, so I tried to like, you know, move the chain, still wouldn't go down. And so I went on YouTube and I tried to type up garage broken and it was saying, hey, check the sensors. Sometimes there's like two sensors that touch, you know, kind of meet you, matches each other, make sure it's connected. And I was looking at the sensors, no problem there. So then I looked at the manual, and I said, hey, how do you fix the garage when it's broken? And it had me like press all these buttons and so forth, and still wasn't doing anything. So finally, I called the company. And I called the company, and I said, hey, you know, my garage won't close. And I explained the whole problem. They tried to talk about the sensors and so forth. And after going through all of that, The person on the other line said, oh, you know what might need to happen? You might need to replace the wires. The wires might be bad. So here's what you got to do. Take out all the wires from the garage, and we'll send you new wires, and you just connect them again. And as I was talking to her, I just looked up, and I saw wires everywhere. And I hung up the phone, and we just lived with a broken garage for a month. (laughs) Literally, we would drive home, the garage is closed, get out of the car, I go, I just open up my hands. We drive in, close it down. And that's how we lived for over a month. Why? I got discouraged. I got discouraged fixing the garage. It was too complicated. Who's going to replace all the wires like that? I don't want to get electrocuted. I don't know how to do that. And so what happened was it just stopped me from doing anything because I couldn't handle the complexity of what was before me. In a similar way, that's what happened in Nehemiah 4. The people began to complain. Why? Things got complicated. At first, they're cleaning everything. They're fixing it. It's all good. But look at the second sentence of verse 10 again. They said that not just they're weary, but there's too much rubble. There's too much rubble. As they build this wall, they just see all the bricks here. And they're going, oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? There's all these bricks here. We have to grab these bricks. And man, who lifted up, there ain't no tractors there. There's nothing that's going to move that for them. It just felt like too much for them. And so the people, they were already tired and now they're discouraged because they look at all the complexity of the building project and they're like, we just can't do this anymore. In a similar way, when you try to fix something, when you try to build anything in life, whether it be a new career, a relationship, a local church, it's going to feel like there's a lot of rubble. There's going to be a lot of debris that it feels like you have to go through. When you start a new career or you get a new job, it's nice at first, but all of a sudden you find out there's so much organizational rubble, there's so much junk you get to kind of go through that you need to work through that you get tired. You get discouraged. When you're in a relationship and all is well in the first few months, but then later you realize there's all this emotional rubble. There's all this emotional debris you have to go through. All this stuff, all this junk that both of you guys have emotionally. You need to work through that. It's tiring. Or when you're in a new church. You come to a new church and you go everything's great. But then all of a sudden there's all this social rubble that's there. Ministry rubble. Theological rubble. It's hard. It's challenging, it's complicated. And so what happens? You get discouraged because you feel like you can never get through it. It just feels like too much. It feels like too much. So there's fatigue, there's frustration. Here's the third one, failure, failure. When we get, dis- we get discouraged when we do something and it shakes something deeper in us. It shakes some- us to the core. When you're doing something that takes a long time, that feels complicated and you just can't do it, you start to question yourself. You start to question yourself sometimes. It's so interesting, the the people in Nehemiah chapter 4, even though they finished half the wall, they're 50% done. They did it. Look what it says in verse 10 again, the third sentence. They said, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Why do they feel that way? They're tired. They're frustrated. And now they're looking at themselves going, (laughs) I just can't do this. I can't do this. Why not? Why not? It's because they feel like failures now. People are criticizing them. So much to do. And they're just weary. And they're just like, you know, we just can't do it. You ever feel that way before? You're in a job. You're like, why did I even pick this job? Why did I start this career? Why, why, why did I even get married? Like, why did I have kids? Like, you just have those moments where you're just like, why did I do these things? And you start to really question yourself because it's a lot harder than you thought. And you have to realize that when it shakes you to that extent, something's going on there. Like there's a jump that happened because something is connected to this core identity of what you're doing and what you're struggling with that you're just kind of, you can't help but shake at all. I remember one time I went to, uh, um, (laughs) this is a funny story I think, I think it's it's funny to me. I went to a, a campus ministry event and it was a gospel night. It was a gospel night event. And this was back in the days when my wife, we were dating, she'd come to everything with me. And then she, we went to this gospel night, and I, I was the keynote speaker to, pre, you know, share the gospel. And so we had it and shared the gospel and so forth. And, on, you know, we had a whole drive back from San Diego back to home. You know, and whatever pastor does is they just kind of wait for their spouse to, you know, say something with the message. She didn't say anything, so I was like, so, what you what you think? My wife was quiet, and she was like, hmm, I don't think you preach the gospel on gospel night <laughs> and i was like what do you mean and she and she kind of you know went through like the message again and i was like oh my gosh i did not preach the gospel on gospel night and i remember we drove home and i was you know, just kind of in this like self-condemning mode and my wife was like what are you what are you what are you thinking and i'm like i'm thinking that i suck i sh- why did i go to ministry i should step down right now this is a very basic thing, just preach the gospel and I didn't do like what am I doing? I felt like a failure. And it's kind of like a weird thing. It's like, whoa, like, why is that something that leads you to feel like a failure? Why is that not just a bad day? Why did I just like kind of like, ah, oh, gotta get better? For some reason that led me to this place where like, I'm done. It was really strange. And that happens periodically. There's a bad prayer meeting that takes place, a bad sermon that takes place, a bad members meeting that takes place. Oftentimes I drive home and I go, hmm, not just that was a bad meeting, but I failed. I'm a failure. What am I doing here? And I know that that's not something that I'm alone in. I'm sure many of you, that's how you feel. You feel discouraged by something you're doing. You feel discouraged and really down about something that didn't turn out that well. And it's one thing to be discouraged, but it's another thing to all of a sudden feel like you failed. And oftentimes what that reveals, what your discouragements reveal is you have placed high expectations for this thing, whatever it is, to fulfill you in a way that you should not have been expecting. Mindy Clemens, she wrote an article about this, about the extent of our disappointments. And she says it like this, quote, when we feel overwhelmed by disappointment, it is a good sign that something has become far more important to us than it should be disproportionate disappointments reveals that we have placed intense hope and longing in something other than God. Have you ever thought that our disappointments are God's way of reminding us that there are idols in our life that must be dealt with? In other words, your discouragements will often reveal what you worship. To the extent of how discouraged you are is to the extent of what you expected that thing you worship to deliver. So we're discouraged because we are fatigued, Because we are frustrated, because we feel like failures, and lastly, this leads to the fourth one: we are discouraged because of fear. Because of fear, we get discouraged when we just all of a sudden you're frustrated, you're tired, you're all of a sudden you're like a failure. So now you're just thinking about the problems all the time. That's what happened to the people in Nehemiah, verses 11 and 12. Look what it says. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come along them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So here's what's going on. There's rumors that these guys who are criticizing them, they're going to come into the city, they're going to secretly enter, and they're going to kill them. It's going to be some type of assassination thing that's happening. And the people who are most freaked out by this, the people are like, oh my gosh, they might be coming, are who? Those who live near them. It's the people who live near the opposition who are hearing those rumors. Ten times they're coming to the city going, they might be coming, watch out, they might be coming, watch out, because they are constantly being shaped by what they're hearing. They're thinking about all the negative things that's gonna take place. And I don't know if that ever happened to you, but if you focus upon all the ways that things are gonna turn out wrong, all the ways that things are turned out in a messed up way, all the negative aspects of what you're doing, you know what's gonna happen to you? you're going to have what people call the yips. Have you heard of the yips before? Simon Biles, she, uh, you know, the uh, Tokyo Olympics, uh, she made headlines because she withdrew from the Olympics. And the reason why people suspected she withdrew was because she was struggling with routine jumps. And I have a lot of empathy for that. I completely understand and empathize with her struggles of why she dropped out. But people were like, why did that lead her, why is she like messing up on these jumps that she's normally able to easily do? And people suspected that, oh, she's, I think she's struggling with the yips. The yips are often something that people go through where you have experienced a lot of anxiety and you have a fear of just failure that causes you to mess up the normal things that just were normally routine. I remember I was actually first introduced to the yips when I talked to a pastor friend. And um, he, uh, he told me that for the longest time at his church, at his church before, he's at a different church now, he struggled with preaching. Like, he just wasn't comfortable preaching at all. And I asked him, Why, why are you struggling with preaching? He was like, I think I had the yips. And I was like, What's the yips? What do you mean? And he said, Well, one day uh, I preached, he, this is him, he said, I preached a sermon and we had a staff meeting and the lead pastor just destroyed me. He's like, What was that? And he just went off about how bad of a sermon that was. And so ever since then, when he went up and preached, he got up, he just see the lead pastor sitting right there staring at him. And this caused him to go, like, <laughs> It caused him to have this yippy feeling. He struggled with every word. He didn't really feel comfortable out there. And even though this is what he did full-time, he just struggled. He was worried about all the bad things. He was worried about the criticisms. And this is what happens for many of us. If you've been discouraged because you've been criticized, you're not doing well, you failed at something that you're doing, it's hard to even do the normal things. It's hard to get up to do the normal things with whatever that is that you're doing. You're struggling with the yips. And so, because of that, you're always focusing on the negatives, worst-case scenarios, because you've been driven by fear, because you're mainly thinking about these worst-case scenarios. So, those are the four. Fatigue, failure, frustration, and the yips. Which one do you struggle with? Are there any areas in your life where you see these elements taking place and it's leading you to get discouraged? For some of you, it's your career. It's your jobs. You feel fatigued about your job. You feel frustrated. You sometimes feel like a failure. And you think about all the negative stuff about it. And so now you're still working because you have no choice. You have to pay your grad school bills. But you've lost courage to work the way that you know you should be working. To be motivated. To not want to just quit on a Monday. You've lost your courage. For some of you, it's your relationships. Particularly for if you're married, it might be your marriage. You feel fatigued feel frustrated, you feel like a failure, you feel like there's worst-case scenarios, negative moments. You're working on the same problems all the time, the same arguments all the time with your spouse, they're not changing, you're not changing, it all feels so complicated, it's not the marriage you want, you're walking on eggshells, and so you're still married, you're still married, but you lost courage to work on the marriage. You lost motivation to be the spouse that you were called to be. Some of you, it's your faith. It's your faith. You feel fatigued, you feel frustrated, feel like a failure. You think about all the negative stuff. You've went to church your whole life, but you can never live up to the standards that you feel like a Christian should live up to. Or you see Christian leaders and there's news about them falling and being corrupt. Or you see people around you, they just don't care. They say they're Christians, but they don't really care about their faith. And you call yourself a Christian still. You still come to church and you do your Christian duty, but you've lost courage to really follow Christ the way you know you should follow Christ. And so lot of you, I know, you enter this room discouraged about areas of your life. And just know, it's natural. It's so normal. It is a normal part of life to experience moments of discouragement. But here's what's not natural. You don't have to stay discouraged. Discouragement, it's a choice to stay in. It happens. It's inevitable to become discouraged. But to stay discouraged, it's up to you. It's your choice of what you want to do. And if that's the case, how do we get out of discouragement? Because in Nehemiah, they don't stay discouraged, something happens. That leads to the second point, the cures for discouragement. Even though Nehemiah and God's people, they were discouraged, they didn't stay this way because just as there were elements that led to discouragement, there were elements that got them out of it. What happened? What do you need to bring the courage back in you? There are four things. Four things I want to notice about what pe- the people did that led them to respond to discouragement as well. Number one, Pray honestly. Pray honestly. Notice when Nehemiah experienced problems, he always responded with prayer. And you're going to see that throughout the whole book of Nehemiah, he just prays about everything. Now, if you're here and you grew up in the church, your eyes roll or your eyes turn glazed right now because you're saying, "So when I feel down and discouraged, I just pray." Got it? I've done that. Here's my question: How do you pray? How do you pray? When you look at Nehemiah and the way he prays, he doesn't pray like a modern person. He doesn't pray like us. Look how Nehemiah prays in verses 4 to 5. He's going through all this opposition. Look what he says in verse 4 to 5. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. You know what Nehemiah is saying? He's saying, Jack those guys. Send them to exile, just like we experienced. And if they have guilty things, if they have sins, don't forgive them, God. That's how he prayed. Sounds crazy. Nehemiah, why are you praying like that? And the reason why is because this is how Nehemiah feels. It's not pretty. But it's honest. It's honest. You see, when we think about prayer, we often think about holy language. God, Father, please be with my family. Please, oh, let's glorify your name. And we ask general requests, please help me to just glorify you this week. But when you read how people pray in the Bible, particularly let's say the book of Psalms, which is a book of prayer, it's filled with crazy talk, and some of you already noticed. But let me show you some of precatory psalms, which, as they're known as. Psalm 55 says, "This is a prayer. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave." Psalm 109: May his children be fodderless and his wife a widow. May his dad die. Psalm 137: How blessed would be the ones who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. That's crazy. God, grab their baby, smash their heads in the rocks. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. That's wild. And yet, and yet, these prayers in the Psalms and this prayer in Nehemiah, it teaches us a very important lesson. When you pray to God, God doesn't want you to come with your flowerly language. He wants you to come with your emotions bare naked. Come honestly to him. Come honestly to him. It's so uncomfortable for Christians. We're uncomfortable bringing these negative emotions to God in prayer because we know they're ugly. So we try to push them away. But the Psalms tells us there's actually a third way. Don't push them away. Do you think God's going to be shocked by that prayer? you think God hasn't seen some stuff in his life? Do like, you think God's going to be shocked by what you're saying? He knows. And we're called to pray through them. I remember I was actually challenged by this because I've learned to pray like a Christian. I know the Christian lingo. I how to pray, and it sounds like a holy prayer, and so uh, I know what God talk looks like. Um, but I got challenged because when I when I was seeing a professional counselor, he was telling me in our sessions together, he was like, "You know, Tom, uh, I feel like I don't really know you." And I was like, "What do you mean? Like I've been meeting with you for like months, and I'm pretty open with you." He's like, "No, no, no I know that. Like you, you, you're open." and you share all the facts of your life, but it's very polished. It seems like you just have everything figured out. There's no, like, sadness in your voice. It's very, like, factual. And he challenged me, saying, if you really want these sessions to be beneficial, you might, be, you might need to go there. You might need to go there once in a while. And I realized, like, that's so true. The sessions weren't helping me when I was just presenting this polishedness that I was there. That's not what counseling is for. Same thing of prayer. God doesn't want your polishedness. God doesn't want your representation, your holy church person. He wants you. How are you feeling? How are you really feeling? You feel like dashing their babies against the rocks? Okay, let me know. Tell me. It's there. You're going to tell somebody. Other people can't handle that. But God's saying, tell me. And so when you're discouraged, do you ever pray? And do you ever pray the way Nehemiah prays? Many Christians, you know how you could tell Christians have a hard time with this? There's, a, there's something I've been learning a lot that Christians do if you grew up in the church. Have you heard of spiritual bypassing before? Spiritual bypassing is when someone's going through a hard time. You go, hey, how are you doing? You go, Ah, oh, God is so good though. He's going to use this to glorify his name, so I'm good. Now, amen to that. That's probably, that's true. How are you doing? And a lot of us as Christians, if you grew up in the church, you don't know how to deal with that stuff. You, it feels almost shameful to feel those negative emotions, so you cover it with the spiritual language, and that's when you talk to people, it's kind of weird. It doesn't feel human. And the reason why you talk in spiritual language and talk in this way where it's spiritual bypassing to other people is because you're spiritual bypassing with God. You're just never real. You're just never honest with him. And therefore, that discouragement that you feel is just there. And what Nehemiah encourages is you gotta bring, you got to bring it to God. Be honest. Be real. Let him know what is going on. Pray honestly. Here's the second thing work differently. Work differently. Don't just pray honestly, but work differently. Notice when Nehemiah experienced problems, he didn't just stop or he didn't just go, oh, we should stop working or we should keep working. But notice what Nehemiah did. He all of a sudden got everybody, said, hey, we have to do something different. In verse 13, it says, So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. What's Nehemiah doing here? There's people who might attack us. So he said, okay, new game plan. Everybody, you stay on the walls. There's a vulnerable place there. Go there. Here's a weapon. Boom, 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 boom. With the carry stones. Use one hand. Just carry that one hand and just move. And we got to do things differently here because something's happening. And that's how Nehemiah responded. He didn't just keep doing the same thing, he did it differently. Many times when we get discouraged, we often over-spiritualize things. We go, I just need to pray and ask for a new heart and then I do the same thing like I've always been doing. Or we go, you know what, this thing ain't working, I got to get out, I need a new career, I need a new relationship, I need a new job. I must be doing something, there must be something wrong in my context. But it could be that you are exactly where God wants you to be, he just wants you to do it a different way. Because in that situation, what you are doing is all the unhealthy habits that you've had in your whole life, the negative emotions, the pessimism or the over-optimism, all the way the laziness or the however, whatever kind of negative attitude you bring or bad habits you bring, you don't want to change that. You want to change everything else but that. And it could be that what God wants to do, you to do is instead of changing that, you need to change you. There's something about you that needs to change. And that's why the discouragements are always there, because God is getting your attention. Something has to change, or you're always going to be discouraged like this, just in different context. Here's number three. How do we fight discouragement? Number three, be in community. Be in community. Notice when Nehemiah experiences problems, and he says, hey, we're discouraged. He organizes the people together. Look what it says in verse 13 again. So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. He had them come together with each other, with their family. And he says, Guard it together because Nehemiah knows that you need people, especially if you're discouraged, to come into your life and give you courage again. They need, you need people to give you that courage. That's why in the New Testament, God doesn't just tell his people, Come. Gather and worship me, and that's why you gather together. All true, but in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 26, the famous verse of gathering, remember what the purpose is of his people gathering? Look what the writer of Hebrews says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of son, but encouraging one another. You're meant to encourage each other. You're meant to breathe courage into one another because when we gather, we come so discouraged throughout the rest of our weeks. Some of you, you are discouraged because you simply don't have anybody in your life who's giving you courage. You go to church on Sundays, but you're not part of any community here. You come and you go, and you're still discouraged. Sundays do nothing for you. Or you come to our church. You're part of a community, you have friends, you never talk about what discourages you. It's just sports. It's just you're weak. And this is the superficial things in life. Nobody's breathing courage. You can be deceived thinking I'm part of a community, but the reason why you're not receiving encouragement is because you're not sharing your discouragements. And I don't know how long you can survive by yourself in that way. People here need encouragement. They will never show up, but they do. I don't know if you guys know, but I need encouragement all the time. It's so easy to get discouraged doing pastoral ministry, having kids, being married as long as I have. It's, it's so easy to feel like a failure. That's why I never take it for granted when this random people will message me throughout the week, say, hey, hey, Pastor Tom, prayed for you this morning. When I get those messages, it's literally like a breath of fresh air. I'm like, oh, thank you. I'll never show how thankful I am. I'll just say thank you. But like inside I'm just like, thank you. Because I just need moments like that. I would not be here if I didn't have the staff at our church that I had. Because in our staff meetings, there's some low moments that happen where it's like, what are we doing, man? What am I doing? What was that? What did I just do? And the staff, they just encourage me. They were like, hey, man, don't, dude, we see this, we see this. And I realize, oh, they're breathing courage in me. My, I, we had a leadership council in the past, and we meet together. I'm just like, I don't know what I would have done if it wasn't for those guys in my life, just breathing courage in me all the time. My community group, when we meet regularly, even though I'm a pastor in the group, I'm like, hey, I'm just treat me like a member. I just dump my stuff. They breathe courage in me. And I don't know what I would do without that. I know what would happen. I'd be discouraged. And I think a lot of us, that's why we're so discouraged these days. You don't have anybody encouraging you. You need to be in community. You need people to breathe courage in you. Here's the last thing. The last thing. We, don't, we need to, fourthly, to have courage, to not be discouraged, is don't just be in a community. Remember faithfully. Remember faithfully. Notice when Nehemiah was experiencing problems and the people were, they were all looking at the rubble, the rumors. What are we going to do? But Nehemiah, a little bit different, could have easily joined them. Could have easily been like, why did I come here? I was living in Persia. I was a cupbearer. Why am I here? He could have easily gone that way. But look what it says in verse 14. And I looked and arose. And said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Um, I don't know if you guys know the story of how I became a Christian. Some of you guys know. Uh, the general story is I wasn't a Christian until my senior year in college. But if you, asked, if you sat down with me for like an hour and said, well, how did that happen? I would say, well, it actually really started back in my senior year in high school. And here's what I mean. Back in my senior year in high school, at the end of the year, I got into UC Irvine. I was planning to go. And what happened was I planned to room with a high school friend because he got into Irvine too. So that was the plan. But I had an older friend from a different context. She was an older girl who went to UCI. And she said, hey, Tom, I know somebody who's going to UCI. You should room together. And I was like, oh, I'm actually rooming with my old high school friend. And she's like, oh, don't room with him. (laughs) <laughs> you want to get out of high school. Like, room with somebody that you know that you don't really know from before. So I feel bad. I jacked my high school friends saying, sorry, I'm not rooming with you. And it literally felt like a setup with this guy because I didn't know who this guy was. And so uh, she gave us each other. Back then, there was no, like, social media. So we had, like, a phone call. And I said, hey, my name's Tom. We just kind of talked to one another. And, uh, you know, he seemed like a normal guy. So we agreed to room together. And as we kept talking, we had to decide where are we going to live our freshman year? Because in Irvine, there's two dorms. There is Mesa Court. And there's Middle Earth, okay? Now, I really wanted to live in Middle Earth because back then, at least that's how it was in the past, every dorm had a theme, like the art dorm, the humanities dorm. Looking back, irrelevant. (laughs) But that doesn't mean anything. But at the time, I was in high school, so I thought, oh, I want to be part of that dorm. And so I said, let's go to Middle Earth because it has really cool themes. The roommate, his name is Brian, by the way. Brian was like, no, no, I want to live in Mesa. The, The dorms are way nicer in Mesa Court. And see what happened? We literally flipped the coin. We flipped the coin and it turned out, ended up living in Mesa. Brian got his way. And what's weird is when we got to Mesa and lived there, I never talked to Brian. We barely hung out. But I talked to his friends. He had a friend who would come and visit his dorm in Mesa. And I talked to that friend And I'd be like, oh, hey, and that friend was pretty cool. Later on, they had another person visit that dorm because he had a friend in the dorm and he became one of my best friends. And so these two people who visited that Mesa Court dorm, I became really close to them, not with Brian, with those two people, and they were both Christians. And they both constantly kept inviting me to church, constantly evangelizing to me, constantly bugging me. I'd always ignored them. But all of a sudden, I had a really difficult senior year. And then when they, me becoming friends with them still, they were still there in my life, and they said, hey, want to come to church? And then long story short, my senior year in high school, or my senior in college, rather, I accepted Christ, and I became a Christian. And here's a bonus. One of those friends who was, visit, who was like, in the Mesa court place, uh, she was the one who set me up with my wife, Lena, and so because of her, I am now married, I have two kids and, you know, third one coming. And I realized, like, oh, my gosh, like, today, I am a Christian, I am married to my wife, I have my three kids. It all started with me jacking my high school friend. It all began there. What if I never jacked him? What if I said, no, I have loyalty and I'm going to have room with him? Or what if the coin flipped the other way? We lived in Middle Earth and those other friends never visited. What if I never met this guy named Brian? You see, it could all be coincidence. Or, if the Bible is true, it could be God is the one leading the way. He is the one who's leading the way in my life. And when I take time to remember this, you know what it does to me? It gives me courage. That in the moment of discouragement where I'm at, God is the one who led you there. God is the one who's leading the way. The great and awesome God. The Lord, he led you in the past, Tom. To Mesa Court through that f- coin flip. Do you believe that to be true? He is with you in the present, right now, in the discouragement. He has a plan for you in the future. You see, when we remember the Lord in that way in the midst of our discouragements, nothing more can give you courage than that. Because when you are in Christ, you remember that even more deeply, in the past, God has secured you in His cross his eye is upon you, his love is upon you, his spirit now dwells with you in the present and his promises await you in the future. When you remember this Lord, who is great and awesome in times of discouragement, it gives you a little bit of courage. Do you have this courage when you remember the Lord? Do you fix your eyes upon him? This is why we gather on Sundays. It's a moment to pause, to remember the Lord how great and awesome he is. And when we remember the Lord, we could enter Mondays with a little bit more courage. And so church, as we move forward as a church community in our individual lives, as we build up this church together, let's anticipate moments of discouragements. It's gonna happen. But let's not stay there. Let's remember God calls us to have courage. He gives us the means to have courage. And he tells us and exhorts us to fight for that courage. Let's all pray together. If I can invite us to just have a time where we can pray on our own, uh, two things if I can just encourage us. Number one is, what are you discouraged about? Maybe it's been a long time since you've been able to just pray about the things that burden you, that are filling anxiety in your life. And maybe just acknowledging what it is that you're burdened by a relationship, a career, a scheduled activity. And what do you need from the Lord to fill you with more courage? Maybe it's more honesty in prayer. Maybe you have to do things differently. Maybe you just need a community right now. Or it could be you just need time to remember the Lord more frequently. Let's take a moment and really pray and lift up our burdens to the Lord. And then I'll close us in prayer.